0: Hello everyone, this is Josh Schlossberg with the Green Root Podcast. For this episode, we have Mike Ewall. Mike Ewall is the founder and director of the Energy Justice Network, a national network working for a transition to clean energy and zero waste by supporting communities threatened by dirty energy and waste facilities. Active since high school in 1990, he has led winning campaigns stopping numerous biomass and waste incinerators, power plants, landfills, a multi-state nuclear waste dump, and more. After a biomass incinerator threatened his home county in 1997, he led efforts to stop that proposal and help other communities do the same, ultimately building a grassroots network that stopped dozens of biomass incinerators throughout the country and the world. So welcome to the Green Root Podcast, Mike.
1: Hi, uh, thanks Josh for having me.
0: I'm really psyched you're here. I've touched upon biomass a bit on the green root podcast but haven't done a deep dive and i couldn't think of anyone better to get into that with than you and i used to work for energy justice network years ago i worked for mike on the anti-biomass incineration campaign so working on national efforts and regional and local efforts on biomass i no longer work for the organization but they're still doing some excellent work and mike has his fingers on the pulse of a lot of this stuff that I no longer do. So let's just start from the beginning, Mike. So folks who don't even know what biomass is so. What is what is biomass energy? It sounds nice. It sounds like oh it's it's green and fluffy, <laughs>
1: right? Well, one of the um, things to know um, to start is just that anything um, that starts with the word bio, you have to be um, cautious about these days, um, because it's a lot of uh, public relations being used. Um, for example, um, what has often been known as sewage sludge it has been renamed through a public relations contest, biosolids. Um, You have charcoal is now biochar. You have a lot of things that they throw bio on. It's supposed to sound good, um, but it's important people um, look at this more closely and realize um, that a lot of it is uh, what we call greenwashing. Now, um, biomass is one side of what The broader umbrella of bioenergy is there's also biofuels which is like ethanol and biodiesel things that are liquid fuels meant to be used in transportation or heating sectors usually Uh, whereas biomass is usually something we're talking about when we're talking about burning for electricity and it could also be for heating in some cases Um, but the real issue is what are they burning And that can mean a lot of different things. It has different definitions in every different law, um, in different states versus the federal government. You can have um, one state with multiple policies have different definitions of what biomass actually means. Um, But at the dirtier end, we're talking about things as dirty as burning trash, sometimes even tires or construction and demolition waste. Usually those are not in the definitions, but sometimes they're parallel um, and benefiting from the same policies. Um, but you also have things, especially trees are commonly considered biomass to burn trees, um, to burn, um, crops and animal waste, um, as well, um, Or just grasses, um, agricultural crop residues, all kinds of things that ultimately grow from the ground. Although that's not always the case when we're talking about things like trash, which includes plastics from fossil fuels like oil. Um, It can also include gas-based things like burning toxic landfill gases or the digester gas um, from using anaerobic digestion of sewage sludge or animal waste or other organic wastes.
0: Okay, so that's a helpful overview of what this whole situation is that we're talking about that most people really aren't that familiar with. So I think it is really helpful to delineate all of that. So you've told us a bit about what biomass energy is and what bioenergy is. What's wrong with it exactly?
1: So what's wrong with burning um, so-called biomass is that it's extremely polluting. You have, um, at the dirtiest end, things like burning trash, which we know for climate change is two and a half times as bad as burning coal. It's worse than coal burning on mercury, on lead, on nitrogen oxides, on all sorts of pollutants um, that can be compared. And we all know coal is one of the dirtiest things out there, so to be dirtier than coal is saying a lot, and burning trash is definitely one of those things. Um, But even if we're straight up talking about burning trees – which is usually what they mean when they say biomass, is 50% worse than coal for the climate. And it's also worse than coal in some other pollutants. and other ones, it could be comparable or close to as bad as coal. And we shouldn't be giving renewable energy subsidies to an uneconomical industry that is comparable in many ways to how polluting a coal power plant is. It just makes no sense.
0: Interesting. So, yeah, that is the the data that we've been using for years to talk about this. Yet what I experience, and I know you've experienced is we point out, hey, sorry, but this biomass energy stuff is more harm than good and it's worse than coal. So what is the response we often get from people who don't understand this very much? Oh, so you love coal? How do you respond <laughs> to that?
1: Yeah, a lot of people um, who either don't know our work or just being trolls um, like to say, oh, well, if you possibly compare this to anything else that's also bad, then you must be funded by that other bad interest, which is absurd, because we're the same group that launched the No New Coal Plants Network back in 2006 that helped grassroots activists support each other and stop um, over 100 coal power plants in the country that were proposed at the time. Um, So we're no friend of coal or oil or gas or nuclear or any of the dirty energy sources that are out there. We've helped people fight all of them. And so just because we criticize um, one and make comparisons to others um, doesn't mean that we're in favor of other bad energy sources or funded by that. We, of course, wouldn't take money from any of these.
0: Yeah. And that's what attracted me to be a part of Energy Justice Network years ago and makes me still appreciate so much of what you guys are doing, is that you're not advocating for one source and that's terrible because you oppose one other source that's terrible. So I've seen folks who are opposed to biomass energy, but then they're propping up fracking for natural gas and it's like, well, that, I guess you can do that, but that's not very consistent or yeah, you're right. Biomass energy is terrible and so are fossil fuels. That's why we love nuclear power. It's like, oh man, <laughs> that's that's no good. So. There is the concept of clean energy, though, and the concept of renewable energy. And I think what a lot of people trip on, I'm sure some of them are trolls and stuff like that, but I think a lot of, you probably agree, a lot of people trip up on, wait a second, clean energy is supposed to be the good guys, right? And you're saying that Mm -hmm. some of that is not the case. So this idea of not all clean energy is created equal. So personally, that's why I think a lot of people, they they just don't get it but your consistency in that you are, no, no, I've been opposed to these other terrible things for many, many years, and we're opposed to this next terrible thing. I think that's the way to get folks to understand, But, but do you still see that people just don't seem to be able to make that connection?
1: Um, Yeah, there's a lot of confusion, especially because the language is always getting hijacked. Um, So clean energy now in some policy realms has become something that includes nuclear power, which, of course, we know is definitely not clean by any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely builds itself that way. And renewable energy is a word that has been hijacked. Long before that to include all sorts of combustion technologies like biomass, trash burning and landfill gas burning. So this is something that even in the Green New Deal that Alexandria Castillo cortez Cortez was sponsoring, uh, that has language that says it wants to promote energy that's renewable or clean, I think is the wording that they used. And that, Hmm. um, I'm sorry, it says renewable and clean Um, and oftentimes people want to say clean and renewable but legally and i'm a lawyer so i'm parsing the words here um the way that was expressed the ad would read us an order so it means renewable or clean which the way things have been getting defined means could include nuclear, could include biomass and waste burning. And that was intentional. They actually left the door open for nuclear power in there, Mm -hmm. um, which is just dreadful to me and anyone who knows anything about nuclear power, um, that that would be considered a solution. Um, But there definitely are um, activists. I've been debating them just this past week who Mm -hmm. are um, against natural gas. And rightfully so we, energy justice network to fight natural gas power plants 20 some years ago um so very much opposed to that um but they're saying that um that Celebrating the closure of a nuclear reactor—the closest one to New York City—very um, dangerous place to have a nuclear reactor—is yeah. um, an awful idea, and it's um, furthering climate change because all it means is more gas burning. And yeah, in the short term, that is what's happening. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's a good idea to keep dangerous old nuclear power plants running that needs so many subsidies. That just taking away the subsidies and resteering them to clean energy will get us off of fossil fuels faster. Um, regardless of all the other impacts um, that nuclear power has. Uh, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a really important point. And it's about not just accepting these blanket statements as true and looking a little bit deeper. So have you noticed some pushback though? So you're critiquing the Green New Deal. So this is something put forth by Democrats as a way to say, look, we care about the environmental movement. And then here you are coming out there and saying, yeah, well, you're opening the door to a lot of dirty energy, have you gotten pushback for that?
1: Um, I haven't pushed back um, too vocally on the Green New Deal only because it hasn't really had much traction as a real policy yet, so we're not really um, engaged in that. We also don't engage terribly much on federal policy. We'll write up critiques of the problems with it, and the same problems always recur with every climate and energy bill that's out there, including anything that big environmental groups are promoting usually has all kinds of problems, um, including all the technologies we're talking about being in there. Um, but the Green New Deal actually, um, is a concept that came out of the Green Party and that is a party that is foundationally very anti-nuclear and so they would not be in favor of that at all. And it was a much stronger position until, um, the Sunrise Movement and Democrats started, um, uh, taking that term and using it for their own, um, policies that they've been putting forward. And so it's gotten watered down from the beginning of, um, it becoming a larger thing with the Democrats involved. Um, I know just from policies Democrats have pushed, which don't look that different on the energy front than a lot of the ones Republicans have pushed, um, that they are very interested in promoting um, dirty energy sources, um, at all of them, like coal, oil, gas, um, nuclear, biomass, and waste incineration have been heavily promoted by Obama, by other Democrats, and um, the Clean Power Plan, and our policies before that. Um, Energy Policy Act, um, a lot of different policies, even these climate bills um, that died around a decade ago Mm -hmm. um, Had all kinds of giveaways for dirty energy industries Um, So I'm glad that some of those bills have not passed Um, It's I hate to um, put any faith in the market um, because I'm not a market-based type of um, promoter (laughs) in any way Um, but we're looking at the reality that with wind, because the policies that have enabled wind and solar to catch up so much and because the cost of our conventional fuels, um, including the not-as-conventional biomass stuff, is so high compared to um, conservation, efficiency, wind, and solar, uh, which are starting to become quite competitive, that what's actually going to get us where we need to be is um, a combination of the policies that have gotten us this far, but also just the, the price um, the market itself is going to pr- is starting to price out um, Dirty energy sources. We're seeing biomass plants that can't stay open unless they get subsidies um, in New Hampshire we worked on a bill a couple years ago and They were trying to keep the state's last trash incinerator and six biomass incinerators running by passing a state subsidy that was deemed to be illegal um, when it was challenged. And those, um, a lot of those biomass plants are now being idled um, because they can't compete.
0: Yep, yep, we've been definitely seeing that. And I'd be curious to get your opinion on the idea of, so right now a lot of biomass energy facilities are not running probably because of the fracking boom Would you agree that that might be true?
1: Yeah, a large part of what they can't compete with is the temporarily cheap natural gas. And so we've been very active in fighting the gas industry over the years and not are are a fan of um, seeing the gas industry succeed um, with all the damage that they're doing. Um, However, the fact that um, they are helping bring down the nuclear industry the coal industry the trash and biomass incinerator industry is actually kind of exciting yeah. um, because as these other ones go down they don't come back up easily when hmm. the facilities shut down you don't see them reopening and so what we're seeing is that now wind and solar have their prices are dropping so much that they're now competitive even with natural gas and we're starting to see the end of the shale bubble with um chesapeake energy when the if not the The biggest, at least one of the biggest uh, fracking companies just filed for bankruptcy this past week. And so we're starting to see that shale bubble burst. Mm -hmm. And as I've been saying for several years, it's just a matter of probably a handful of years before these cheap gas prices stop being cheap Mm. and this um, shale bubble bursts. And then it's going to be – will be happy to be dealing with a situation where the biggest grassroots battles are going to be where to put all the wind and solar hmm. and who's going to control it and how big it's going to be. Because um, that's what we're looking at in terms of the larger um, trends on cost.
0: So once, once the bubble bursts in terms of fracking, you don't see biomass as coming back as a major player?
1: Um of course everything tries. Um there are two biomass plants that just went up um in the past year in Georgia that folks are up in arms about because of the railroad ties they're burning there and all the toxicity associated with that. Um so there's even pushback in some of these Republican rural communities. Um they even have a state bill that looks like it might pass to ban the burning of railroad ties at these biomass incinerators. Right. Um, so you do have some new biomass being built, but these are ones that were probably on, they were they were on the books for several years and just got online um, right. about a year ago. Um, so to think that um, we're going to see many new proposals mm-hmm. for them, um, I think is very, very unlikely because biomass is mm-hmm. one of the most expensive forms of power that there is. Yeah. Um, it depends on which... Um, data you're looking at but it's usually like the second or third most expensive um, and trash incineration is the the most expensive um, right. and that's when they don't count all the subsidies to nuclear. If they counted that nuclear I'm sure it would be the worst. So, mm-hmm. so it's definitely up there and I don't think... Um, there's got to be a big push for it because the numbers just aren't there. It's really going to be a matter of um, wind and solar and energy stores starting to dominate everything, um, which is nice to be in the era to finally see that happening. It needed to happen decades ago, but at least it's happening now.
0: Right, right. So in terms of you're not seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, you're not seeing a huge resurgence of biomass power facilities. Of course, it remains to be seen, but. But you think it's unlikely, which is a positive thing. But of course, we do still have the fact that 43% of renewable energy, quote, in the U.S. is bioenergy. But a lot of that is the transportation fuel and Mm -hmm. heating and stuff like that. Do you see any of that diminishing or do you see that going steady? Or what do you think about that?
1: Uh, We are going to see a lot more move toward electrification of transportation um, with Tesla and and that sort of thing. Hmm. So whether we're going to see a big increase in ethanol in transportation, um, I don't know. Um, That is something that those um, really bad energy policy bills that passed in 2005 and 2007 that mandate a huge amount of – biofuels in our mix, that will probably keep propping it up. But whether it's going to um, continue to ramp up dramatically is is hard to say. Um, And the industries like paper mills, sawmills, and stuff that have been burning their own waste for decades, um, that's where a lot of this, when you say heating, a lot of that is happening. Um, Mm. It's not as much residential wood stoves, although there's some of that out there too. Um, But a lot of it's the industrial sector. And honestly, that changing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. only because they're, it's cheap for them to burn their own waste products. And so unless these mills shut down, which a lot have been doing and going overseas in some cases, um, I, don't, I don't think that's going to change. But for the electricity sector, like no one's going to start building a, a ton of biomass burners to make electricity. Um, it's just not going in that direction, thankfully. Sure.
0: So it seems as if Energy Justice Network distinguishes basically non-combustion and combustion-based energy sources. So solar and wind, obviously everything has a footprint, but not even in the ballpark to compare it. And of course, the air pollution issues are non-existent really in terms of that. But of course, then there's nuclear, which isn't quite combustion. But would you say a lot of the issue is around the combustion component of energy sources, whether they're considered renewable or not?
1: Yeah, the dirtiest energies out there are nuclear and anything that burns anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why we put fossil fuels and biomass and biofuels in the same dirty energy category, essentially. Um, They're just differently bad depending on what you're measuring, um, but they're all polluting and unnecessary and something that we need to move away from.
0: Right. And what's very interesting, and we, we know this and a lot of folks know this, but not all the folks know this. It's not really just been the Republicans pushing for biomass energy. In fact, it's to a large degree, actually, the Democrats. So that puts a kink in the works a little bit. So how to how to message and tell people, no, it doesn't mean we are in favor of the Republicans who almost never have done anything valuable for the environment short of the EPA back in the 70s with Nixon. But the Democrats, just because they have that D doesn't mean that they are automatically advocating for what's best for the natural world and for people. So, how do you navigate
1: that? Um we I mean don't I don't see myself as a democrat or republican, mm-hmm. um even though I'm registered as a democrat right now. Um that, largely that was a, a Sanders campaign uh, matter um not wearing my nonprofit hat when I say that as a personal thing. Sure. Um but um definitely more aligned with where the Green Party is in terms of their politics and positions on issues. And when we look at where the major parties have stood on this, um, for example, the energy policy Act of 2005, which is, sounds like a while ago, but it's still the major defining thing in terms of our energy policy in this country right now. And it was the Republicans that get the blame for that bill because it grew out of the Bush-Cheney Energy Task Force. Um, but it was the Democrats when they controlled the Senate that actually wrote the bill that passed a session later when the Republicans were in charge. And that bill, while it had... Some extra things in there that were good, like don't drill for oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. That mm-hmm. that was a bonus. Um, but that was the main thing that the environmental community fell on its sword over, and so they won on that piece. But everything else was pretty atrocious. And mm-hmm. they had more um, nuclear promotion in their nuclear subsidies than the Republicans had had in their bill. Um, they also, like under Obama, um, which came out of a lot of the implications of that bill, with what enabled the Deepwater Horizon accident, with the um, deep um, water drilling that was enabled under that act that the Democrats passed, and Obama voted for, um, you had Obama when he was president bragging to, I think, an oil industry audience that under his presidency they built more oil and gas pipelines than anyone else, enough to circle the earth um, several times. And then some, I think he said. Hmm. So um it was just bragging about that and you had um obama clinton others pandering to the coal communities too marching and saying clean coal and and holding up this banner of like not of basically everything coal oil gas and nuclear they were big cheerleaders for um but biomass since it's branded as renewable energy democrats are the ones promoting that And Republicans will also often be promoting that too, Um, but sometimes in a knee-jerk anti-renewable energy sense that you get out of Republicans, um, sometimes they'll be more friendly on opposing biomass than Democrats will, which is just strange um, if you understand um, Democrats to be Mm pro-environment. and that's just contradictory. And same with trash incinerators, since a lot of them are in more urban areas or serving urban areas where Democrats represent, they tend to be the ones getting more contributions from the trash incineration industry and the ones sponsoring the bills to promote them.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about trash incineration. So to my understanding, a lot of those facilities, if not all of them, are located in poor communities and communities of color. Would you say that's accurate?
1: Um, I would not say all of them. I know there's been um, research that has come out that is very um, inaccurate and in mm-hmm. inflating the situation and making it sound like um, majority of them are in communities of color or environmental justice communities, as they define them, and that's just not true. We've mm-hmm. actually built the best analysis tools, um, the only analysis tools really out there to quickly be able to plug in any. Set of latitude longitude points in the country. So you can plug in a whole industry Um, We even looked at 15,000 uranium mines at one time and within a matter of minutes Cranked out an environmental justice analysis of the aggregate impact of whose impact. and of course for that We're talking about indigenous communities with the worst racial impact we've seen but with trash incinerators Yeah black people are most disproportionately impacted by the location of trash incinerators in the u.s. That's a fact Mm -hmm. Um, but we also know of this industry and of a lot of dirty energy industries in general is that it's um, not just because people are poor. The average mm. income around these facilities is actually slightly higher than average. Mm. And it's not true that a majority of the communities are communities of color, which we would define. As majority people of color. Um, But some are trying to say um, if it's 25% or more people of color, then it's a community of color, which is head scratching. Mm -hmm. And um, therefore they inflate the numbers and say, oh, these are 80% are in communities of color, and that's just not true. So there's no need to exaggerate it. Um, the data speaks for itself, and yes, people of color are disproportionately impacted. Um, lower income people generally are disproportionately impacted by certain industries. It's true for biomass. It's not true for trash incineration. Um, but there definitely is a racial impact, and race in general across these industries we've analyzed is more of a factor than class. It's not just because people are poor. It's because people are people of color where a lot of these industries tend to concentrate.
0: Okay. That's definitely helpful to know. In some cases, though, for sure, there are racial components. I was looking at energyjustice.net slash map. So that's the energy justice network mapping project of all sorts of dirty energy facilities. So I'm looking at the the biomass stuff and you have an environmental justice analysis. So I and it has basically distance and miles from the facility and the different races and ethnicities. And for this one big facility we have here in Colorado where i live the Eagle Valley Clean Energy because it always has clean in the name of course that's how you know it's clean right so <laughs> that biomass facility which burns trees here distance in miles so 0 miles from the facility it's 56.8% hispanic and 41% white and then as you go out further the percentage of uh, further from the facility the percentage of hispanic people decreases. So in that instance, it is more the majority of the folks who are dealing directly with the air pollution impacts are people of color, just one example, but it's not exclusively an issue for people of color.
1: Correct. Yeah, on balance, biomass incinerators tend to be in lower income white communities, Um, but there are definitely a lot of examples, like you've said, um, where they are in communities of color. Um, And if you're looking at different industries, um, particularly trash incinerators, but also um, oil and gas plants, oil refineries, um, uranium mines, you find much more disproportionate impacts on on people of color.
0: Sure, sure, that makes a lot of sense. But folks can check out this information for themselves, energyjustice.net slash map. So we were talking about biomass, mostly trees, plant material, quote, wood waste, things like that. And then there's trash incineration, which is sort of all lumped together in a lot of the language, but we're talking about plastics. We're talking about garbage from the garbage can. So how did that it's sort of understandable that you put trees into a category of clean because trees are growing and they're green and it's nature, right? But then you burn it, that's the problem. So, how did somehow plastic garbage become considered a part of clean energy? How did that even happen?
1: Well, all of this comes down to lobbying. We saw in New York State one of the few states that has trash incinerators and has a renewable portfolio standard, essentially a renewable energy mandate, that does not put the trash incinerators in the renewable energy category. And they had to fend off three attempts by the industry. Of course, this is the state that is number two in the number of trash incinerators. They have 10 of them in New York. And the industry tried three times to get considered to be renewable energy in that state. And thanks to the advocates that worked on this and also to reputable scientists who worked in the state agencies that the attorney general and the state department of environmental conservation pushed back and stopped this from happening and when the dec the environmental agency in the state documented that in 2011 when this was this a big controversy they showed that The coal plants in the state were far less dirty than the trash incinerators in the state and they said well if we have these much larger coal plants there were eight of them at the time versus these 10 smaller trash incinerators and the trash incinerators are putting more mercury out than the coal plants and if you make it equal where you say amount of mercury per unit of energy so you're comparing apples to apples it was 14 times more mercury from trash incineration than from burning coal and you can go down the list of other pollutants, it was worse on, on, on all but one of them, I think. So to see that, not just us analyzing EPA data saying, hey, it's dirtier than coal, but a state environmental agency doing that and saying, hey, this is so bad and so polluting that, no, you shouldn't be giving them all this extra money as a renewable energy subsidy, um, that was nice to see, um, but that's rare. A lot of other states roll with the money. Um, you probably remember Martin O'Malley was running for president in the mm-hmm. Democratic primary uh, four years ago. He was um, governor of Delaware. Dal- uh, sorry, he was governor of Maryland at the time, and he um in in 2011 when he was governor there was a bill that moved trash incineration out of tier two where the credits are not worth much Mm -hmm. to tier one in the renewable energy mandate making it equal to wind power Mm -hmm. and that caused their credits to be worth much more to the point where they instead of making like a hundred thousand a year at best um, they were making three to five million dollars a year per incinerator Um, As renewable energy and people are paying more on their electric bill thinking they're getting wind and solar out of this and instead they're just getting asthma and cancer and that is a direct result of the incinerator company that was trying to build in a new incinerator in Baltimore at the time giving a $100,000 check to the Democratic Governors Association, which Governor Martin O'Malley chaired at the time. He cashed that check or or accepted it on the very same day that he signed that bill into law. Hmm. So I was sitting in the trash incinerator industry's um, conference at the time, hearing them celebrate that. So, um, it's, and I just do that to know what my, my enemies are up to. But um, that's what it looks like. This industry survives because of a combination of, um, I call it, laziness, stupidity, or corruption, on the part of public officials. They're either hmm. taking the money or they're not doing their homework.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's the sad state of affairs, and you can't just look to one side of the aisle for what's going on with that. So what are some of the air pollution impacts, as in what is the stuff that we're breathing that's so bad?
1: Gosh, well it's everything you get from any sort of combustion, Um, so the same things you would hear about from a coal plant you're going to get from burning biomass or trash, it's just you'll get them in somewhat different amounts and based on if they have more pollution controls or if it's a bigger or smaller plant. Um, But you're going to get, um, of course, carbon dioxide, global warming pollutant, you get plenty of that. Um, You'll get the nitrogen oxides that trigger asthma attacks. You'll get the sulfur oxides that also trigger respiratory problems and acid rain. Um, You'll get the particulate matter, especially Mm -hmm. the fine particulate matter, what they call PM2.5, which Harvard scientists recently pointed to as something that increases deaths from Mm -hmm. COVID-19, where small increases of that in the background air are enough to um, increase um, the deaths from COVID by fifteen percent, and a lot of communities are well over that threshold um, mm-hmm. with what's in the air already. Um, you also have toxic metals. Um, you have acid gases like hydrofluoric and hydrochloric acid. Um, you have dioxins and furans, the most toxic chemicals known to science, um, which climb up the food chain. And most of it you get from eating meat and dairy products, and you're getting the most toxic chemicals that are literally one hundred forty thousand times more toxic than mercury. Mm-hmm. And this is being spit out by by biomass and waste incinerators all the time.
0: So not just the trash facilities that burn plastics and other things like this, but facilities that are burning wood are still putting out all sorts of pollutants. So that campfire, it smells good, but there's some other stuff in there that's not very good for us at all.
1: Yeah, the most shocking thing I found when I was researching this notion of is clean wood really clean? Because mm-hmm. people think, oh, well, you know, well, it's not the treated stuff. It's not construction and demolition waste or painted wood. It doesn't have all those treatment chemicals, so you don't have to worry about it. Well, a tree cut straight from a forest mm-hmm. has so many metals in it that when they researched this in Europe, they found that if they apply the same test they use for coal ash, To see if it's hazardous waste based on the metals content if they apply that test to wood ash The wood ash would fail the test and would be considered hazardous waste Because of all the metals in there and you might ask well, why are all these metals in trees well? think about the well over a century now of industrial air pollution we've had around the world and Where's all that stuff gone a lot of it's been sucked up by trees and even the naturally occurring metals that are in soils, certain trees are hyper-accumulators. They're especially good at sucking up certain metals into them. And sitting in a tree, it's no threat to anyone. But you burn that and make it airborne or make it into a fine ash that can blow off of trucks and landfills, where they don't even landfill this stuff if it's from biomass, they can mm-hmm. put it on farm fields, um, then you're exposing people to those toxic metals. And it's really dangerous.
0: Yeah, that's some mind-blowing stuff that I learned when I was researching all this stuff and working on campaigns. That kind of blew my mind. So obviously it's the absorption of all of these other pollutants and toxics, but even just the concept of combustion itself, creating these little tiny particles, it's not, it's not good for us. So this concept of going beyond burning Fire might have evolved us as humans and we needed it to survive, and we're probably not going to get rid of it entirely. But it seems like delineating based on, well, is this energy source about combustion or not, is a pretty good way. It's a pretty good way to start because obviously there's still nuclear power and there's still other things that have issues like massive hydro dams. But mm-hmm. this combustion stuff, it, it seems as if people just aren't as aware of that in general. And we all like the smell of a wood fire on a fall day? Would you say that there's even concerns with stuff like that? There's obviously industrial stuff, so that's the main focus, but should we be at all paying attention to wood stoves and stuff like that?
1: Absolutely. It's not something that we focus on um, as an organization, but there are groups out there um, like um, Clean Air Revival is the name of one of them. They have a website, burningissues.org, which is really good and has a lot of credible scientific stuff. And I know people um, from when I was um, doing a lot more work in Pennsylvania who literally were trapped in their house having to wear a gas mask in their home Mm. because a neighbor was burning a wood stove and that wood stove pollution would enter their neighbor's house Yes, and that got some people so sensitive to those those emissions that they were having respiratory problems they had to move away once they could afford to because they couldn't have live wearing gas masks in their house so it's just it's that much of a problem but even in, when you're not one of these unlucky people that gets extra sensitive to it, Mm -hmm. you're still exposed to those pollutants and it's a smaller scale than these big biomass incinerating power plant type of situations but it's also unfiltered Um, or maybe there are some modest filters on some systems but for the most part you don't have the filters on these smaller things, and especially campfires, are no filters. Um, So all those products of combustion, you're just breathing them right in, and it's definitely not good uh, for health.
0: Yeah, it's something that folks need to be aware of. I mean, whether that is something like there should be no wood stoves ever again, seems pretty unlikely, but pretending that there's nothing going on there, I think, is a mistake. And I've looked into a lot of the science when I was doing activism on this, but also as a journalist. and yeah, the data unequivocally shows that even if you don't have a wood stove, if there are folks in your neighborhood that do, the particles, they get into your house. It just comes into your house, and eventually that's that's something we're going to need to address. It might not be at the forefront, but definitely something we can't ignore, and maybe we'll revisit that again in the future on the podcast. But so, all right, let the trees grow. That seems pretty basic, right? They're absorbing just... carbon dioxide. They're doing all these good things. They're pretty to look at. Animals live there. Cool. We, we get that on biomass, right? seems like an easy fix. Well, stop cutting down the forests and then they're going to do work for us and we don't have to burn the biomass. All right. Solve. Problem solved. But trash incineration, what are we going to do with all that garbage? Why not just burn it and then it's out of sight, out of mind?
1: Right. Well, it's, um, not always out of sight, but it's often out of mind um, because people don't even know what it is. Like in Baltimore, we've been working on closing down the incinerator there. It's the biggest polluter in that city, and a lot of the places we work, trash incinerators are the biggest air polluter in the county that they're in. And... people see a big smokestack that says Baltimore on it, right off of the highway and they don't even know what it is um, until they're educated about it. And then they realize, oh, that's really polluting. I, I didn't really have an idea. I just thought that was a monument that says what city we're in. So <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a lot more challenging because the solution on trash, um, first of all, trash incineration is the most expensive and polluting way to manage waste or to make energy. So no one in their right mind would ever want to do this once you recognize that reality um it's just that um like when you look at that way anything is a better solution right like when you burn trash for every 100 tons you burn 70 tons become air pollution and 30 tons become toxic ash, which still have to go to a landfill. So you're not getting away from landfills. You're just making the landfill smaller but more toxic, which is actually more dangerous because it's not the size but the toxicity of them that is dangerous to people. So we'd rather see waste go straight to a landfill than into having most of it 70% into the air first. Um, but that's not something where we're going to rest and say "Yeah, we love landfills of course no one loves landfills mm-hmm. and wants them to exist um but zero waste is the alternative that we've been promoting and actually helped develop on um, the zero waste hierarchy that's now used as an international standard and what that looks like is not as easy as with biomass where you say oh just don't chop the trees down them grow um, we have to tackle in a very diverse way all the different things that need to be done to Rethink and redesign products to reduce, reuse, and recycle and compost them, and then to process the small amount that will be left if we do everything else right so that the landfill that is left will be small and stabilized and not gassy and stinky. And so there are a lot of steps in there um, from making sure people have the right bins they need and get charged the right way to have the incentive to recycle and compost and just all the things that it takes um, to get it right. And when I say a lot of this is um, in Incineration is because of laziness of public officials. is often because they blame the community, and they still be blaming themselves for not creating the right education incentives. But they say, "Oh well, these people won't recycle," which we hear a lot by city waste officials, which is coded racist and classist language, saying, "Oh well, these these certain people, you know, are not uh, going to do the right thing," and that we've totally is something we've totally disproved because we've gone into neighborhoods around the incinerator, Baltimore. And have done incentivized recycling programs Hmm. that educate and inform people and give them the tools they need like free recycling bins which the city charges people for and um when you give them the tools and education a bit of an economic incentive they recycle way more than the rest of the city does um it doesn't matter if they're black or brown or white folks so that is something that should be self-evident but um when we have public officials who are in the 1980s on their waste management policies and don't really understand how to do the right programs, you end up with these situations where people get poisoned instead of having the um, cleaner environment and all the jobs that come with it.
0: Makes a lot of sense. So you talked about education, putting the word out there. Where are the large environmental groups that have the funding and the cloud and the platform? Where are they on these topics?
1: Um, Well, they're usually invisible on issues of trash incineration. On biomass, um, they used to be promoting it for many years. Um, Some used to even promote trash incineration, but that was going back a few decades. Um, But on biomass, it was... A turning point around the past 10-15 years, um, which is in the wake of the national campaign um, that we've had, which was largely lots of local campaigns, um, to push back against biomass industry expansion. And it got to a point where the big environmental groups that used to promote biomass have then turned around and started to recognize it's a problem. And sometimes they'll still say, oh, well, small types are okay, or certain types are okay, but we'll be against this one type. And that makes it difficult for those of us trying to fight the full range of biomass um, types of incineration. Um, But yeah, that's what happens. Um, You usually were at the unfunded cutting edge of an issue. And then when it gets to the point where foundations are willing to throw down dollars to groups to work on the issue, they do it in a compromised way and give it to the biggest groups that were usually part of the problem (laughs) until they realize that now there's money to fight this um, because we brought enough attention to it over the years um, that now they get to benefit from the money in that and act as if they were there on the right side all along. That well, happens all the
0: time. I think that pretty much sums that up. Yeah, I've been following that for a long time and I can attest to the fact that everything Mike has said is true. Uh, Mike and I, more so Mike, and Mike continues to be more tapped into all this stuff, but we we've looked into this pretty deeply and that's been the dynamic for a long time. But it is positive that over time, these big ships, they sort of do shift a little bit, right? Because of the grassroots and efforts that groups like Energy Justice Network have been putting out there. So they've changed their minds somewhat. Are these green groups helping you all on the ground in terms of fighting new proposals and or dealing with the fallout of the old proposals that they either directly or indirectly supported?
1: Um, Generally, no. Um, They're Not usually there for that Um, in some cases if it's a coal plant. Yes There's now big money, um, especially um, was from the gas industry, but now it's from Bloomberg um, as right-wing (laughs) and crazy as that is Um, but um, Former mayor Bloomberg of New York City has been lavishly funding Sierra Club to fight coal plants And so there's a lot of money in that um, and Sierra Club's done a lot of decent work on that um, but really has taken over that space um, from what we carved out back in 2006 before there was funding for this and we did it without any funding and got the grassroots folks together supporting each other and then you have the big greens jump in and kind of take over that space with a more of a top-down approach Um, but that's um, what a lot of this tends to look like
0: sure and i don't want to get into this next piece too much but so bill mckibben who is one of the most prominent environmentalists in the world uh, he had long been a supporter of biomass energy, but as portrayed somewhat in Planet of the Humans, he changed his mind over time. He, he did that several years ago to a certain degree. So that that's good, even though he does still support some forms of biomass, but let's just say that he has evolved on that position. That's a positive thing. We want to encourage that. So all of the facilities that were built during the time that he was advocating. And I can attest being in Vermont at the time and saying that certain facilities shouldn't be built. And then they got built. And a lot of the support, a lot of the folks who I bring this up to would say, well, you know, Bill McKibben is okay with this, so it should be fine. So we all make mistakes. We all learn from our mistakes. So has Bill McKibben approached your organization, which is one of the most prominent on the ground organizations working on biomass to help prevent new proposals or dealing with these communities that are dealing with the ongoing fallout?
1: Um, Yeah, we know, um, of course, it's no secret that Bill McKibben was promoting um, biomass at Middlebury College and perhaps beyond that um, some years ago and and has since um, reversed his position, which we're glad to see. Um, We we would love to see him come out and say the Middlebury biomass plant um, in his area ought to be closed down. And especially help communities like Dartmouth um, College, not far from him either, where I was in the past year um, up at that um, campus speaking uh, for a community that was – trying to stop a new biomass plant from being built um, related to Dartmouth College, but right off campus in the community. And that's the current proposal that people are fighting and need help with. And I'm sure um, McKibben and other environmentalists who are more local to that area, it would be great to see them um, joining that fight and helping out. Um, I did have um, someone who introduced me to bill mckibben um in the wake of the *Pan of the humans documentary in the past couple months and so we traded an email back and forth but um only once each and i have not heard back from him unfortunately um after kind of just spelling out a little bit of our history on the biomass issue and hoping that there might be opportunity to collaborate and um I know he's got a lot going on, uh, but it would be great to have support from that direction. And we're not really seeing it um, on the level we'd like to see at this point.
0: So it's an open invitation. So Bill McKibben, if you're listening to this podcast, which is unlikely, but I've also been in touch with McKibben a bit in the past. And yeah, he's, he's got his own stuff going on. And I will say that he is a bit dismissive. But he's got a lot going on. But this is an open invitation. And um, yeah, I'm, su- I'm sure he's been actually aware of what an- an Energy Justice Network has been doing, because several of us have been in touch with him for years. But so that's leaving that aside. Here, Here's something that I would say in the past, and you would kind of correct me on it. And I think you're actually right. So I have always said, and I I I stand by this for most of the environmental movement, that we're getting our butts kicked. (laughs) We're fighting a losing battle. We're not progressing on climate change. If anything, it's, well, it's definitely getting worse. Biodiversity issues, all getting worse. I guess we don't have rivers on fire anymore and certain air pollution things are less obvious, but we have more hidden issues, things like that. So I've always said, now the environmental movement is failing across the board, which I still stick to. However, you point out that actually the anti-incineration campaign, anti Biomass Campaign, that has actually been doing quite well. So do you want to talk about how that across time has actually been one of the bright areas in environmental stuff and in terms of maybe some recent victories?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, we've tracked the numbers on a lot of this and um, one of the more recent things we were looking at is on, a, a, it's more obscure, but medical waste um, incineration. I found there used to be 6,200 medical waste incinerators in the U.S. in 1988. Hmm. Now they're on the order of about 20.
0: Wow.
1: And it's not like, medicine stopped, you know, people didn't stop getting healthcare, it's just that they switched to non-burn alternatives that are far safer, and so one of our campaigns right now includes um, trying to get the biggest medical waste incinerator in the country, which is in Baltimore, um, closed down um, with the clean air ordinance that we got passed there um, last year and still being battled out in the courts, but if that succeeds, then they'll be forced to clean up or close down, which functionally probably is going to mean close down Um, so there's been um, a lot of victories there. Um, There's been a lot on trash incineration, one of the most unpopular technologies in the world, where in the U.S. there were close to 200 incinerators operating in around 1990, 91, which was the peak for that, and now they're down to 72, Hmm. and they keep closing. They've tried hundreds of times to build new incinerators in the U.S., And since 1995, when the latest one went in, that was at a new location. They've expanded some, um, built one right next to another one in Florida in one case. Um, But they've not been able to build a new one at a new site. In 25 years hmm. despite hundreds of attempts so that's a pretty good batting average uh, to be able to say that We're stopping so many that they really just are dead in this country as an industry And it's just a matter of how quickly we're going to close the remaining 72, which has been my current mission And you see similar successes on all sorts of other fronts on um, coal plants closing Although a lot of that's because natural gas plants are opening and we've been helping people face some of those and um, that's not <laughs> been as successful with the gas plants on, on this round. On the last round was pretty good, though. Um, the last round was in the, starting in the late 90s, going for about a decade. And we estimate that about um, 60% of that wave of development was crushed one community at a time hmm. when they built about 400 gas-fired power plants in that wave, much bigger wave than the current one. And um, we estimate somewhere on the order of 600 were canceled or defeated. So... A lot of these things go down um, nuclear power plants they tried to they were talking as many as 45 new nuclear power plants in the past um, like 15 years or so they were trying to start building a new wave of them and I think one old one that started getting built years ago got turned on but none of the other ones got built some have been under construction and repairs are going to be paying a lot even if they never actually finished getting built um, but those are stalled for the most part and not really happening so um, it's pretty exciting to see the success of communities, one community at a time, um, working with each other to stop these dirty energy waves of development. Um, it's been very successful.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the winning team, really. it's It's one of the areas that's really been progressing in the fighting of these power plants and incineration. So if you're tired of losing, Don't give up on your other campaigns, but you might want to engage a bit with what Energy Justice Network is doing. And it's this incineration stuff is it's maybe not the biggest source of energy, but it's one of the most polluting in terms of health. One of the most devastating in terms of environmental impacts, and for me it 's a litmus test, so it doesn 't matter if people focus on this issue or not, but the folks who are I care about the environmental stuff and then but biomass is a good idea to me that 's that perfect litmus test to tell if people are really very knowledgeable or <laughs> compromised in terms of that so let 's say folks want to get involved with energy Justice network and some of the stuff you 're doing on the ground, so you guys are located in the Northeast. So Philly and DC area, but you've got stuff going on nationally. and People can still engage with you no matter where they are. So how would mm-hmm. they get engaged and involved with what you all are doing?
1: Um, they can just look up, um, look us up at energyjustice.net or energy justice network on Facebook. And you can find our email, um, phone numbers there give us a call shoot us an email Facebook message any of those things works um, just Energy Justice Network look us up and we are working with communities all around the country so even though our staff are concentrated between DC and Philadelphia and doing a ton of work mostly in Baltimore in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeastern states and that's where a lot of the waste incinerators are um, but we're working with folks clear across the country even in Hawaii I, recently um, with an incinerator threat and biomass threats there so um, definitely wherever you are reach out and if we can help you out in some way or connect you with other people as well, we'll be happy to do that.
0: Great. And just one last question. So you're one of the folks who I've found to be the most even handed in terms of the mindset required to deal with environmental issues. So what I mean by that is some folks are just totally pie in the sky, Pollyanna just, yeah, we, we've done all this stuff and all we got to do is do this. And then everything is perfect. You're not delusional like that. And then there are folks who I, I have maybe been on more on the side of, and I'm shifting a little bit more. It's just like, you know what, this is doom and gloom. This is terrible. There are actually some folks who are just, there is actually no chance of doing anything. So just whatever. And I personally, I, I don't believe that. So, what would you say is the proper way to view this?
1: Gosh. Um, yeah, just somewhere in the middle. I mean, we global warming is a game changer. I mean, that we are doomed in a lot of ways with that. We um, can't um, dodge that bullet, but we can reduce the velocity of that bullet by fighting a lot of these industries. And so um, I would say that is the one... Bit of grimness that we can't really escape right. um but we still have control over how bad it's going to get and um what our future looks like and so we could do everything we can to speed up the transition to clean energy and zero waste which is what we've been about and understand that um, clean energy is, uh, I mean, there are valid critiques. Right? There are issues with toxins and solar and rare earth metals being mined for wind turbine magnets. And there are alternatives to a lot of that stuff, too. And so we don't want to just beat them down and say, oh, wind and solar is bad because there are some bad examples where there are some bad materials when a lot of those same critiques apply even more to the things that are even worse. Um, so we recognize that the solutions on electricity, for example, are conservation. First, efficiency, second, so reducing our demand are the top two priorities, just like reduce and reuse before you recycle and compost, and then solar, wind, and energy storage, and those can meet our energy needs, and we do need to reduce demand As the first and second priorities, and we need to go deeply in that, not just a little bit and then say we're done. Mm -hmm. We need to use that zero-waste approach and say we're going to reduce things very dramatically, especially in high-consuming countries like the U.S., where we're taking a lot more of the resources of the planet than our share. Um, So we need to start there, and then... Um, not be afraid to say, yeah, wind, solar and energy storage, you know, they are technologies that exist. There are studies that have been out for many years now that show that they can meet all of our electricity needs with high reliability and cheaper than the status quo. Um, So there's no um, excuse for not going to that or pretending that, oh, what about when the wind's not blowing, the sun's not shining? Hey, they studied that. They figured out a small amount of energy storage is enough. You're good. Just need to get moving on already. Um, So yeah science is out there on that um it's just the politics that's the end of the way
0: well really appreciate you taking the time mike to come on the green root podcast and really appreciate the work that you've been doing all these years and that you continue to do
1: thank you and thanks again josh uh, for all you've been doing as well so absolutely thanks
0: take care